All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to SaberSims DFS Office Hours. Uh, it is Wednesday, June 8th of 2022. If this is your first time watching Office Hours, my name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim. And Office Hours is an open Q&A style live stream uh, where I answer questions from the SaberSim community about SaberSim, about DFS, uh, whatever you guys want to talk about. If you have questions you would like me to answer on this show, you can email us at support at sabersim.com. If you are joining me here live today, you can post your questions live in the YouTube chat. Oh, I just realized I never pulled my microphone over, so I probably sounded pretty quiet here uh, to those of you uh, watching here. Uh, hopefully that sounds a little bit better. Anyway, uh, you can ask questions live in the YouTube chat, uh, and you can ask questions in our Slack channel, the Office Hours channel in Slack. Of course, if you haven't already joined Slack, there is a link to join in the description of every past Office Hours show. Uh, coming up later this week, some exciting news here. Uh, I'll have Matt on tomorrow in the first probably 20 to 30 minutes uh, of Office Hours here to talk about some updates we are making this week to the lineup builder. Um, it, it comes with a suite of changes here. A lot of them are going to be kind of more back-end changes here uh, that uh, I think will probably improve some of the performance of the build speed uh, things there. But there is a big change overall to the way that we are handling correlation. Um, we talked a little bit about this here. I've teased this in the past couple weeks. Uh, I will let Matt explain what exactly this is and what it does and tout the benefits of uh, the correlation changes tomorrow. So I won't go too deep into that here today, uh, but come join me on tomorrow's stream uh, and ask any questions you have to Matt live here. Uh, or if you have questions, if you already know what questions you want to ask, you can pop them into the Office Hours channel uh, in Slack for tomorrow's stream. But come come listen to Matt talk a little bit tomorrow. I'm going to have some questions for him. I'm super excited about this. Uh, should just be a, a general, uh, a really positive change for the way that we handle correlation uh, in general. So looking forward to it. Uh, again, <clears throat> I think the plan is that that is supposed to go live uh, basically tomorrow morning. Uh, the, so the update to the app itself should go live tomorrow morning. Um, and then we'll be able to talk about it on stream in the afternoon. That That is what I understand uh, is what we're doing there. So looking forward to that. Again, come come check out the stream tomorrow um, and we'll, we'll have that conversation there. But for today, we already have some questions in our queue. So we'll go ahead and just jump in shortly here. Um, only a, only a handful, I would say in, in the queue here for today so far. So if you have questions for me, fire away at me now, get your questions in the queue. We'll answer questions, uh, in chronological order, approximately speaking. Um, and we're going to start with a question from Ted here, uh, and a good one to get started with here. And Ted said, what are your thoughts on aggregating projections? Looking to do this for PGA, if projections are on a different, for lack of a better word, scale, Sabersim has Sakam Smith as top player at 84 points, uh, and another source has their top guy at, say, 94 points. Uh, should I be doing something to get them all on the same scale before running Sims? I'm going to start with kind of the first question here and talk about this from a more general stance. Um I don't think aggregating projections is a very good value add for most DFS players. Uh, basically, what you are going to get out of aggregating projections is a rounding of the corners, uh, a kind of uh, a softening of the, the most outlier projected players in any one given projection system. And, and all projection systems are going to have this, this issue, right? No projection system is going to be perfect. There's always going to be kind of some outlier players based on what the inputs are to that system, uh, how those inputs are weighted differently across different systems, where there are going to be players where, uh, you know, consistently even maybe uh, those players are, are a little bit over or under projected by that system. I would say 80 to probably even 90 plus percent of players in a DFS slate, I think you'll probably find are going to be pretty close to one another by most systems here, right? And then you have those, maybe those outliers there where, you know, as you as you aggregate projections, you know, maybe if there's kind of a 10% of players are a little bit Maybe ten, maybe let's let's put it this way. Maybe ten percent of players are um, outside. Uh, I don't know a standard deviation away from the mean of all of the other projection systems. I don't even know if mathematically that makes sense or if that's what the number is. But let's say ten percent of players in a given system are kind of off from the mean of the other systems, right? As you add in, if you have like an aggregate of five different projection models, right? That you're hoping basically that each each model has a different kind of set of outliers that get essentially smoothened out 
uh, by the other systems. But the reason why I don't think you're going to need this for, for, for most players is it just doesn't add a ton of value unless you are playing at a very high bankroll. I don't think it does a lot. I think there are way more better uses of time for the the average player uh, than going around and trying to aggregate projections, personally. Um, on SaberSim, you know, you get an aggregating, I don't even want to say an aggregating, you get a, because Sim Precision builds your lineups in a way that does not overly weight the average projections to begin with, and you get a, a nice moderate exposure that is appropriate for the contest you're playing to players automatically, I think using a tool like SaberSim makes the need to aggregate even less important, right? Uh, a very highly projected player on average in some other model used with a traditional optimizer, right? You're going to have this compounding effect where because that player just happens to project as the best overall player on the slate on average, right? Uh, you are going to get a ton of him in your lineups because of the way traditional optimizers work. We could take a player like, you know, for example, uh, Oscar Gonzalez tonight and maybe say, you know, maybe this is a player that is a bit of a saber sim outlier. For one reason or the other, our simulations really like Oscar Gonzalez, right? He's the best overall projected hitter on the slate by value. Well, because of the fact that we're actually going to pull from a real distribution for Oscar Gonzalez, it is not as if he's going to get jammed into a ton of lineups at once, right? Now, aggregating projections and maybe finding that his projection comes down to, you know, 6.5, 6.45 might be one way that, you know, that could get kind of smooth, smoothened out. Uh, another way of smoothening that out would just be using his direct outcomes here. Uh, his real distributions, which is what Saberson does, and only using him in the lineup when he has the high upside outcome out, outcomes, which are in his distribution, even if his true mean is 5.5 or 6.5 or six and a quarter or something like that. At some point, if you're playing a ton of volume, uh, it's going to make sense to just take into account some level of the wisdom of the crowd and and look at other models and maybe do some kind of aggregation here. Um, but I don't think it makes sense until you're at a pretty significantly high volume where there is actually that little bit of additional value that gets added there. Um, I, I think it, I think incorporating more and more projection models and more and more uh, systems into your aggregate sometimes gets treated as the skeleton skeleton key of DFS. Like, Oh, if I just add one more system in here, everything will, will start working. And I think that is a, a mistake. Um, and I think, I, I, I don't think it is really that, um, in terms of scaling, I think this is an interesting idea. I know Kurt was talking about this here, uh, in the SaberSim Slack this past, um, th this past week. I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's interesting. I, when, even when I've experimented with doing a little bit of this myself, I have never really kind of worried about that i think like for golf in particular right you know if 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 sabersim projects 85.4 fantasy points as the highest overall average projected golfer and you have some other system that is projecting 94 points as the highest overall golfer to me for golf specifically what that's implying is there's a discrepancy in the way that those two systems are thinking about how difficult the course is going to play period right sabersim probably thinks the course is going to play a little tougher uh and you know um, another model might think that the, the course is going to play a little bit easier in that regard. Like uh, I don't think, I, I, I don't know if I would scale the top overall player unless there was an extreme discrepancy between those two, which would probably be more concerning. I would probably be more concerned if there was an extreme discrepancy between those two about the uh, reliability of that other model, really. Um, but in general, right, I, I think allowing, I think, if you were to take that aggregate there, I don't know if I would want to do any scaling because I would also want to aggregate that perspective of the course difficulty itself, I guess. Or same deal, you know, we can take the analogy even to uh, to baseball, right? You know, if uh, there was a difference in the way that the top overall projected, if there was a difference in the total overall points, right? The total overall hitting points on the slate where Saberson said, you know, on a 10-game slate, there's 
I don't know, just as an example, a thousand uh, total overall hitting points out there. And some other model says there's 1200 average hitting points available out there. Well, that to me, that is a discrepancy of just overall how that the models are projecting that the hitting conditions for that particular slate. I could be wrong here. Um, I, I would be very happy to have, this would just one of those things where I'd, I'd, I would happily have my mind changed if somebody has a, a different opinion. I don't know how important it is to scale systems like that, uh, unless there is an extreme discrepancy between the average projections of those systems. And in that case, I would just be more concerned about whatever other model you're looking at. If there, if, if it differs in the total fantasy points available out there on average, uh, by a big factor from what Saberson has, I just don't know if I would trust that model personally. Right. Um, so anyway, all of this to say, you know, at some point, if you're playing extremely high volume, you are going to get some value out of looking at different models to take into account the wisdom of the crowd, uh, and smooth out mostly those outliers. Right. Uh, that said, aggregate, Projection aggregation is not a skeleton key. Uh, it is not the, the the secret to beating DFS any more than average projections of any one singular model are the skeleton key to beating DFS. So I guess really, you know, to sum it all up here, I would say I think there is some value added there of smoothing out the outliers. And you really have to make the determination if in your DFS process, it is worth the time and the money to do this, basically. Um I, I and I, I think for 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 most players there are a lot of better places where you can add value to the process by either doing your own research, uh, spending time, um, you know, adjusting your exposures and managing your risk on on, on Sabersim, uh, other things like that before you would maybe just jump to try to to aggregate a bunch of different projection systems together. But um, interesting question there, good one to start with, and uh, let's keep it going here. Um. Okay. Um, okay. So this was a question from Dwayne here uh, as a follow-up to our contest selection um, video. And before I answer this, uh, I should uh, mention it. Uh, last Friday, I had Eric on uh, stream here uh, for about an hour and a half talking about his research into contest selection. Uh, we previewed, or not even previewed, I would say we premiered uh, our new contest selection framework uh, based on Eric's research. He's been doing this past month. Uh, it is a bit of a shift from the way that we used to look at contest selection, which was basically maximizing EV, maximizing theoretical EV to a more portfolio-based approach where you find a balance of minimizing risk while maximizing your upside. Uh, so if you are interested in that and you haven't seen it already, go watch the video from Friday. Uh, it's in the Office Hours channel in our, or it's in the Office Hours playlist on our YouTube channel. Uh, I definitely go check that out. But Dwayne had a follow-up question here uh, to that and said, uh, one thing I forgot to ask on stream was regards to the 1,000 effective entrance rule. I'm a beginner at MLB and I noticed these contests rarely have 1,000 effective entrance. Does that not matter due to the fact that MLB is such a high variance sport? I wondered why FanDuel and DK uh, are both way under in the contest creation for this sport as opposed to NBA, if you have any idea. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess, first of all, on the baseball thing, it's just a less popular DFS sport. Uh, and in fact, I think one of the sad things about baseball in particular is it seems like it's a shrinking DFS sport. Uh, it seems like a, a, the contests are uh, getting smaller as time goes on. Um, NFL and NBA, NBA in particular, definitely feel like they're growing DFS sports. Another uh, growing DFS sport, golf. Uh, the contest sizes seem like they just get bigger and bigger after every year. Uh, baseball, it, it kind of seems like they're getting a little bit smaller. So uh, it is harder to find those contests with a lot of effective entrance. On the effective entrance note here, um, I think it is still a good tool to use as a bit of a I would say almost a tiebreaker for your elevator contests, right? We found uh, in our research that it is, you know, there is, you can squeeze out a little bit of additional expected value by playing a contest that has uh, a little bit, uh, uh, has more effective entrance, but you also significantly increase your variance because of how big those contests have to get to have a thousand effective entrance. So what I would basically do is in within your elevator contests, right? So these are, when I talk about the elevators, right? These are the ROI boosters. These are the high effective entrance contests that, you know, when you get the right lineup into that particular contest, it gives you a big opportunity to realize some of your, your edge very quickly, some of your EV very quickly, 
right? As opposed to the diversifiers. So the diversifiers, diversifiers are the 20 max, 150 max kind of contests where you can get a lot of lineups in play and smooth out your variance. So when you're looking, I would say in particular, when you're looking at the elevator contests, I think uh, effective entrance can be a good tool to, to break ties, basically. Um, you What you want to do based on the, our, our new framework here is let's say you were filling out your... Um, your elevator type contest, right? So uh, you're filling up the single entries first, uh, or I'm sorry, you're filling up the, the single entries and three maxes by lowest to highest entry fee, right? So as you're filling these out, I would say, you know, you can use effective entrance as a tiebreaker. I would, for example, uh, probably prefer to play something like the chin music, the $5 chin music, which is going to have 2378 effective entrance, before I'd want to play the five tool player, which is a $5 three max, which is only going to have, uh, you know, a little over a hundred effective entrants. So basically in our, in, in, to sum up here in our, I, I would say basically what we have found is um, the maximizing effective entrance framework that we used to think about before had, had definitely had some value, right? What it did at it is it would basically give you a path to maximizing EV, uh, but it was an extremely high variance strategy. So I think, Effective entrance is still something important to look at when you are breaking ties in those elevator type contests, but I would not, I would not seek to maximize it at all costs anymore um, based on the old framework that we were working from. I would use it as a tiebreaker for those high, those, those ROI booster elevator type contests. Um, but, but the first, the, the first thing I would be looking at is filling lowest to highest entry fee uh, first. So um you know, another good example is on the the diversifier contests. So things like like I I I have been playing more minimax um, and getting into some of these 150 max type contests, which is a contest that that you would never really have gotten into before with our old recommendations of of effective entrance here. Um, and what we found in our in our simulations, our contest sims, and our research here is that these can actually be decent contests to play here uh, as diversifying contests. They allow you to get a lot of lineups in play very cheaply. Um, and, and spread out some of your risk there. So let me know if that's clear, um, if that helps. Um, so, um, okay. All right. So um, let's go ahead. So Amim, I see your question here. There was a question about uh, our golf simulation make cut percentages. Um, I sent that question internal. Uh, I, I am not sure. So I'll read this question here. Um, and I will give a guess here, but this is a question that I'm going to take back to the team here and maybe try to give you a more intelligent answer, uh, by tomorrow's, uh, stream here. Um, or maybe even, you know, I know the, the event starts tomorrow. So maybe if I if I hear back from the team, I'll, I'll respond to you again further in Slack. The question says, it appears the uh, PGA make cut percentages are regressed to a mean relative to available odds. Uh, top golfers are lower. Mid golfers are about the same. Low golfers are higher. Is this something to do with how the sim runs? Uh, and I again, I don't. I don't have a very good answer here at the moment. Um, so yeah, I mean, it looks like based on what you just sent over here, uh, that our make cut percentages for uh, some of these golfers here, uh, for the top golfers is a little bit lower than what the betting markets indicate. It's a little bit higher on the lowest side here. Um, I am not sure what the actual answer is to that. Um, what my gut is telling me is that this says something more about the make cut market um, than it does about our simulations and about what side of these markets these sports books want action on. Um, I also, I'm not sure. I I, I don't know. I, this is I again. This is kind of I, I I'm. This is on the the edge of of what I feel like I actually can can answer intelligently here. But my my guess is that this is something more about the markets than the simulations themselves. Um, I'm not sure also how many sportsbook here are actually have two way markets set up here. Um, so I don't know what the juice on the betting markets looks like here as well. Anyway, I I 
I want to ask the team and get a little bit more information on maybe what those discrepancies looks like and, and see if we can come up with kind of why that happens there. So I will follow up when I have some more information for you um, with that. I, I don't want to make something up here. Um, so uh, anyway, a uh, question from Patrick. Jordan, what contest setting would you recommend when entering winner-take-all, GPP or cash for PGA? Could this be applied to other DFS sports as well? I would use the satellite settings. So satellites essentially are going to mimic a winner-take-all. They are essentially, you know, the very top-heavy satellites basically are winner-take-alls where there's one ticket up top uh, that everybody's playing for. Um, I would use the winner-take... I would use the satellite settings to mimic that. Um, they are basically going to be more aggressive GPP settings. They are going to be a little bit higher on the ownership fade and the sim precision than the GPPs. And yes, I definitely think it could be applied to other DFS sports as well. I would use the satellites for, for any winner-take-alls. Um, if you are grouping, I will say, if you end up grouping your winner-take-alls with your other contests and want to build everything together, uh, the GPP settings are probably not going to kill you. Um, they're probably going to actually work pretty well for winner take alls as well. Um, because you know, in a GPP the, the optimal outcome is still a, a top 0.1, top 1% finish. Right. Um, but I think if you were being very specific with your slider selections, I would prefer the satellites settings for a winner take all contest. Um, Enigma Gaming says, in the video about contest selection and bankroll management you released last week, you said you should only use 2.5% to 5% of your bankroll. Is that per day or per slate? Because in League of Legends, for example, you can have three slates in the same day. So should you split the 2 to 5% or use 2 to 5% per slate? Uh, I would say use 25 to 5% of your bankroll in each uncorrelated slate. So if a slate shares games with another slate, at those the, those slates are correlated. Your results in one are, are going to be somewhat correlated to your results in the other. Um, so I, I, I it, that is where it gets kind of complicated. So I would say you can probably feel safe using 2.5 to 5% of your bankroll in any uncorrelated slates that don't share any games together, right? So, you know, an example here, let's look at, let's look at baseball tonight. So um, the, and I know your question is about League of Legends here, but I'm just going to illustrate this with an example here. Uh, for baseball, uh, if if this would load here, um, we'll give this a, a good old fashioned hard refresh here. Okay, so uh, for example, the 640 turbo is completely uncorrelated to the 705 main. None of these games are on the main slate. So you could, if you were playing both, I would say you could use two and a half to five percent of your bankroll in both of these different slates and and proceed that way. Um, they are uncorrelated. However, if you were playing, you know, the 705 main slate and also the night slate, these two slates are correlated because these three games are on the main slate. At that point, it gets kind of tricky. It gets hard because they're not they're not one to one correlated. They're not the identical slate. Um, they are they're somewhat correlated. So, how much bankroll should you play there? I I would probably say that I would not exceed more than 5% to 10% of my bankroll total on a day of correlated slates. I wouldn't I wouldn't spend any more than 25 to 5% on any one slate and I wouldn't play any more I wouldn't play any more than 5% to 10% uh on a set of correlated slates, that might be a little bit too aggressive. It depends a little bit on your risk tolerance and what what your actual risk of ruin is. Uh if you if you're if you are calculating from a bankroll that is your true total bankroll, like if you lost a hundred percent of it, you would have you would quit DFS indefinitely. Then you might want to be more conservative with those numbers. If you are playing with a bit of a softer number there, um, where maybe you're you know you could you could potentially um, you know redeposit or or whatever you wanted to do there, maybe you can be a little bit more on the aggressive side of that. It also depends on your edge in the sport, right? Um, if you're, you know, if, if you have a, uh, if you can demonstrate a, a really successful, profitable process for league, and maybe you have a high ROI, uh, something like that, maybe you can play on the, a little bit more of the aggressive side of that. But I think those are decent heuristics, two and a half percent to 5% for any given slate, no more for any given slate and for any sets of uncorrelated slates each for correlated slates, no more than 5% to 10% for for all of those correlated slates you might be playing. 
So like for league, I know, you know, let's, let's just go look. I don't even know what, what this actually kind of looks like right now. Um, so there's only LPL today. Um, let's see like what, or there's no, there's LPL on Friday. Um, what are the like upcoming slates? Yeah, I don't, I don't, we don't really have a lot of good stuff here to look at. Um, let's just back up and like, look, go back to like April. Uh, April 1st. No, I'm looking for something where there's actual, okay. So here's a decent one, right? So there was this five game, uh, LCS slate, right? And then there's also, eh, not really. You get, I think you get what I'm saying either way. So. Uh, fun question here. Uh, before playing DFS, were there certain sports that you didn't like or had no interest in? Mine would be NASCAR. Now I love that sport because of DFS. Uh, golf is a big one that stands out to me. Um, I probably could not have named like more than three golfers, professional golfers, before I, I got into golf DFS. It was a sport that I just like wasn't interested in at all. Um, and I think it's a really fun DFS sport now. Find it really interesting. I even when I'm not playing DFS now for that particular week's tournament, I'll kind of keep an eye on, on what's going on just because I'm a little bit invested into it now. Um, even baseball. I've been playing baseball DFS for years now. Um, like, man, probably five years of baseball DFS. Um, but before that, I had kind of fallen off on following baseball quite a bit too. So baseball, I've definitely gotten a lot back interested back into uh, as a result of DFS. Um I, I've always followed basketball and and football. Those have always kind of been my main two. Um, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a good question. I would say the 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 big one that definitely stands out is is golf. Um, and I have I have gotten I would say I've basically gotten completely introduced to NASCAR, MMA, Formula One, uh, all of those via DFS. Right. I. Um, but golf is definitely the one that I I would actually say I'm like probably at least somewhat a sport, a fan of the sport now, even if, if like golf DFS went away and just disappeared one day, I'd probably still keep an eye on, on golf. And I don't know if I could say the same for, for NASCAR and, and uh, MMA at the moment, but that's, that's part of the beauty of, of DFS and, and even like responsible sports betting in general. Um, that's why I'm, you know, even apart, even apart from the fact that I'm so directly involved in this industry, uh, I've, I really do feel like the leagues and the, you know, sport associations for these sports should embrace the betting world because it, it, it raises interest uh, in the game, right? Even just a little bit of like recreational fun sweats, right? I mean, that's, that's, I think the NFL has always been a giant, but has so much to thank fantasy football, like just seasonal fantasy football office and friends and family leagues for because it has just blown that market up. Um, and I think a lot of these other, I think a lot of these other sports can, I don't know, have something similar. I think, uh, in, in particular, um, sports betting and prop betting and same game parlays and parlays and things like that have, have really gotten very popular in NBA in the past couple of years as well. And I think uh, part of the reason that the NBA is seeing uh, a bit of a, a popularity surge uh, is because of that. So, but uh, Enigma said, yeah, I get it. It's, it's fine on like a Saturday to play LPL slash LCK plus EU plus NA and use two and a half to five percent on each one as they are independent of each other. Yeah since they're completely independent, it's, it's basically just a pure coincidence that they happen to be on the same day, right? Like they, they have no, the outcomes of one actually have no relationship to the outcomes of the other. If they were played on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you would do that anyway. And that those outcomes are not related. So yeah, I think that's fine. Um, it can feel pretty weird sometimes to have a ton of your bankroll allocated on a day, especially if you play multiple sports like that. Um, but yeah. Uh, Patrick says, any updates on full simulations for tennis? Wimbledon is around the corner. Uh, no, no real material updates. It is still our, our goal to have support by Wimbledon. Um, so we still have some time there. Uh, we are working on it. It's in progress. Um, but I don't have, I don't have an update, uh, beyond that. So 
Uh, okay. Uh, let's jump back over to Slack. A couple other questions have come in here. Uh, this is from Dwayne. He said, how come there isn't a way to update player projections before building for NBA single game contests? I know we can increase exposures, but if I think a player is going to outperform another fantasy point-wise, is there a way to tell the sim beforehand before building so it can incorporate them? Uh, yeah, you you can. You can do that. You can change projections, right? Maybe you, maybe you like Curry tonight. 45 fantasy points. Boom. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm confused. Um, I, I, maybe you're talking about something else, um, but you should be able to do that. One thing to keep in mind, I always prefer to edit player projections on the utility spot. We'll automatically update the captain since it's just a multiplier over that. So I, I prefer to do most of my edits in the utility spot, but yeah, you can do that. Let me know if I'm missing something there. Uh, Kino said, um, low buy-in GPPs have 19 to 20% rake. Isn't this too high? And we risk getting rake trapped as in micro stakes poker. I, I think rake is more about 15 to 16% in low stakes. Um, 19 to 20 is a lot. I hope we don't get that high. I, I think if you are finding 19 to 20% rake anywhere, you can probably do a little bit better than that and find 15 to 16%. It's still very high. Uh, I agree with you there. Um, I think the saving grace is that especially below the... So on FanDuel and DraftKings, FanDuel and DraftKings both have restrictions of what uh, extreme... of of what contest successful players can enter. So um, on FanDuel, if you have... I'm going to try to recite this from memory. If you have a million dollars or more of lifetime entry fees or $50,000 or more of lifetime profit, you cannot enter any contest under $3. On DraftKings, if you have a mil- I think it's just a million dollars of entry fees. There might be a profit line there as well. You cannot enter any contest under $3 or any contest under $5 with a $25,000 prize pool or less. So those are also the highest raked contests, but I do think you earn back a little bit of that because of the you have a fishier pool of players taking up equity in those contests. You could go play, you know, the $100 uh, stakes and get your rake down to 10%, but then you are placing generally facing a tougher opponent there as well. Um, in our contest selection analysis that we just conducted, uh, basically what we found is that those factors roughly cancel each other out uh, and even lean a little bit more in the favor of filling actually probably lean even just moderately more in the favor of filling the lowest entry fee contest first. There is a significant difference, a really good case study, and a case study that we actually experimented with is the four-seamer, the $4.20 max for baseball, because that contest alternates from being a... um, That contest alternates from being a experienced players allowed contest to an experienced players not allowed contest, depending on the slate. Uh, And there is a, a... uh, I wonder what the actual number is. Let me see. Let me might as well just actually say what the actual number is here. Let's see. Uh, okay. Okay. So there's this. Oops. Okay, so when comparing these two, um, oh, one sec. This is what I'm looking at here. So you basically earn back three and a half points. You essentially earn three and a half uh, points of, of ROI, of margin back by playing a contest, at least when comparing these two uh, to one that is a lower experienced contest, right? So it, it's not the whole difference. Right, but you you essentially get to play what could be thought of as a lower raked contest when you are in a non-experienced contest versus a um, a high experience contest. So, um, Enigma said, "Is that spreadsheet you looked over in the contest selection video available? Because it would be great to look over it all." Let me. Um, I will ask. I, I think maybe we'll probably um, put a, a read only copy up somewhere. Um, 
let me just double check with the team and make sure that that's okay. Uh, I'm sure it is, but I think we'll probably want to duplicate it and make a read, like lock it down so that um, nobody ruins the fun for everybody else. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I think we should put that up somewhere. So I'll ask, I'll double check and see if we can put a link up to that. Cause there's, there's, I, you know, there's, there's some data here. Um, I know I've had it up on screen a lot. We talked about it a lot on the stream last week. Um, so I'd, I'd love for everybody to be able to play around with that themselves. So. Um, yeah, so uh, honestly, so Kino, um, I had asked, uh, would you mind opening the lobby for Fandor or DK and do a rake analysis? Maybe I got it wrong. Honestly, what I would recommend, so Roto Grinders has an extension. Um, and they have one for um, Chrome and Firefox, at least. And I would I would just install this. Um, this is this makes your life a lot easier. So they will just calculate rake for you. So you can see uh, margin fifteen percent, fourteen percent here, fifteen point eight two, fifteen point eight five. You'll see most of the low stake stuff here is almost always fifteen point nine. So if we look, um, fifteen point eight, right? Fifteen point eight. They're all around there. I so. I, I think that's just like way easier than calculating it yourself. Um, you also, you get a, a little bit more useful information here when you click this as well. It'll automatically cal calculate for you percentage to top first, percentage to top 10, min cash, what percentage of the field gets paid out. It's it's a pretty nice little extension there. I would just download it um, and, and go that route. So... Um, Okay. Uh, and then Amim had asked a question um, and said, um, uh, NASCAR ownership slider on GPP defaults to zero intentional, I assume. Um, not, not entirely. Um, so our, our NASCAR sliders are basically set just to zero, 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 or zero, zero, 10 for everything, which is basically going to be building optimals for single race simulations. I think they do a pretty good job. I think they get you pretty close um, in terms of what you are, what kind of lineups you are looking for, but these have not yet been back tested in the way we have for other sports. Um, I, I would say, so two things here. First of all, along with that, uh, our ownership projections, when we have them, use our own projections as the primary input. So we are going to assume if we think a driver is an elite play, that everyone thinks that driver is an elite play. Um, I think that's going to mean most of the time our ownership projections are pretty decent. I think there are opportunities to add a lot of value to them. So I think some level of ownership fade, at least in the interest of creating more unique lineups, Something between zero and three for like very large field tournaments, I think feels kind of right. But I think as you increase the ownership fade slider, it might be worth checking some other sources or using your own research or, or intuition to make some adjustments to the ownership numbers, especially for drivers that we maybe think are a little bit outliers there. So uh, I also, you know, this is going to get a little bit, I guess this gets a little bit more meta, but I think ownership... Ownership ends up becoming really important once a sport, I think once once general, once general projection systems on average are pretty good, I think ownership starts to become more important, right? If you think back to DFS, even just a few years ago, uh, you know, like NBA DFS four or five years ago, there was so much of an edge in knowing even just the injury report, but also the rotations and who was going to get minutes that you didn't have to worry about ownership at all because the field wasn't very sharp, right? You could just be right. Uh, I think NASCAR is a little bit still like that. Uh, I think our Sims are really good. I think our projections and simulations for NASCAR are really good. I think a lot of what is out there is not great. I think, and it's also very hard to use. NASCAR is a sport that is really, really tough to beat with average projections and a traditional optimizer because you will you will get lineups that have no win equity, just optimizing for for cash lineups, and I think. 
in theory, against a sharper field, it might make sense to incorporate some ownership fade. I don't know. I, I don't even know for now how much you, you necessarily need to have. So uh, anyway, I guess all of this to say, one, first of all, it is a to-do for us to, one, incorporate an ownership model that does not just use SaberSim as the primary in, input. Uh, that includes other models that, that kind of uh, brightens up the ownership projections a little bit. Two, uh, another to-do on our end is to backtest and optimize the sliders for different contest types. Um, and then I guess three, in the meantime, I kind of think that something resembling the default sliders is probably still the optimal way to play for now. If you want to include a little bit of ownership fade, I would probably stay pretty low here to not overvalue it and, and study the ownership projections. We obviously don't have any for this week's event here. I could go back uh, to last week um, and, and make adjustments here based on your own research. So Uh, all right, cool. Um, Matt said, or could you develop something similar to the template you put out at the start of baseball season with contest selection, the one where you could sort by effective entrance, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good idea. I think I I'd definitely like to do that. I, I can do that for, for baseball. Um, I will definitely, so I will know, I will definitely by the start of the next major sports seasons, do that for other sports. Um, so like by football and basketball, for sure. Uh, I think it is our plan to have college football support ready here. Um, at least maybe even if not for the first day of college football, uh, early in the season, I would do it for, for the college football lobby there as well. Um, I would like to, to, to get it done for baseball as well too. So I guess the, the point here, the plan is to continue doing those contest selection videos, um, for each sport using this new framework. I do think this framework actually is easier to use than the old one personally, because it, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really require you to calculate anything outside of what is available for you on the, the app or not even the app, the site, right? Like the old, the reason, part of the reason why we needed a spreadsheet to use the old method is because we had to calculate effective entrance. Uh, and that can be a little bit hard to do, especially for like the 150 maxes. Um, now I think it's pretty easy to just go through first and do, Hey, here's my diversifier contests. Let me get 50 to 75% of my bankroll in those. I'm going to fill smallest entry fee to largest. And then once you fill those, fill the remaining allocation with the elevator contest, largest, smallest entry fee to largest, right? You can, you can do it pretty quick in the, in the sites. Um, but yeah, I do want to record some more of those videos. So. Uh, Patrick said, did you play baseball last night? Uh, Tiger's scooball was scratched and then unscratched after the game lock had to settle for Carlos Rodon. I did. Uh, and I had zero scooball. Um, it was a weird, weird situation. Um, so yeah, nothing to be done there. I know you had asked yesterday about like how, how, how to deal with weather. Uh, and that's just another classic example of weird baseball weather variants affecting the slate in a strange way. Um, I was very happy for all the Sabersim users that had issues getting Scooball out of their lineups that they at least didn't, uh, have dead lineups there. Cause I know that happened to a few of you guys. Um, so I'm glad that that worked itself out at least somewhat. Um, but yeah, I ended up, I mean, I, I, I was in like a mad dash to get everything in at the last second. So I, um, I took Scooball out and I had time to totally rebuild and do things. Uh, I ended up fortunately on a ton of Verlander. Um, so I didn't have a crazy night last night, but I had a profitable night, which is always good. Uh, again, based on our uh, research here, um, you know, your profitable days per month in a lot of these contests are like five, five to eight. So always nice to get one of those. Um, so uh but I, I I got pushed onto a lot of Verlander. I, I was actually kind of under on Rodon, um, which also I think kind of worked out pretty well. And I had I, I was I was actually pretty on on pitching last night. Um, I had um, uh, I was over the field on uh, on you. I was over the field on Verlander. I was over the field on on Kopesh. Um, all of these guys that ended up having pretty nice nights here. Um, I ended up doing pretty well. So. Yeah, worked out pretty well. 
Ryan said, do you enjoy the daily sports, MLB, NBA, esports, or once a week sports more? I personally like having more slates, but wondering about your preference. Um, I, I like being able to play DFS daily. So like in particular, NBA and baseball kind of have a special place for me because they, they basically have opposite seasons. They're basically in season at the opposite times. Um, and I just like having daily slates. Like, I think it's fun. I think it's fun to solve that puzzle every single day. Um, it is hard to say that anything beats NFL DFS though. Like really, like it, it feels like that's, that's the, the pinnacle of DFS for me. So, but three days a week is, is, is great. You get Thursday night football, you get Monday night football and you get the big Sunday slate. Um, but I, I do like having daily DFS to play. So, um, yeah, I think, I think like NFL, NBA and MLB are still my top three. And I know those are the most popular ones, but those are, well, I guess they're maybe not baseball. Isn't, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't say baseball is one of the most popular DFS sports anymore. Um, so those are, those are my top three. I do want to play. I, I kind of want to try a little bit more hockey DFS next year. Um, it's just hard because it often feels like it. I have to choose between that or NBA on a given slate. But maybe next year, you know, on like the Tuesday night NBA slates where there's like two or three games or two to four games, maybe I'll play hockey instead. Um, because I, I don't know. I, I kind of. I, it's like a sport I really feel like I haven't messed with enough so and that's a daily sport um all right there's another question in uh mma about mma from a me here and will uh got to this before i did so uh let's see um this one says how about in large field mma where you need the optimal to win would you worry about ownership fade if you think your lineups aren't duped uh, and then Will said, Jordan may have different feelings on this, but dupes are the first thing to worry about with respect to ownership in MMA, but there are still benefits to a lineup having lower ownership since it's competing with less lineups. You're also getting more second, third, fourth place equity, all else the same. Yeah, I think in MMA, I, I, I think I like the idea. I mean, I think Will makes a really strong point there. Um, and I think in MMA in particular, just because there are less, there are less possible lineups to play the field is going even if the field wasn't literally sharper i think actually let me put it this way i think the field is actually probably just sharper in mma than nascar period right like i think other tools out there are better so i think the field does better building mma lineups which makes it makes there more value in fading the field right i think ownership becomes more valuable period but i also think because there are less lineups out there there are going to be more lineups in a large field GPP that are competitive, even just by pure chance. So I think fading ownership for that reason in MMA, I probably would be even more likely to do it than, than NASCAR, right? Like if that makes sense. So not only do I think the field is a little bit sharper, even if that, even if the field was equally sharp between those two sports, I'd probably still be a little bit more interested in fate in using something like a little bit of ownership fade in MMA. Um, because of the fact that there are less possible lineups there. Um, I personally, the way I end up treating these for most of these sports um, is I try to assess things for, for both NASCAR and MMA on a lineup level. I am try and I, I, what I am essentially trying to do is, is ask myself, is that in, is that lineup on the whole more likely to be the optimal than that lineup is likely to be played is mostly what I do. Um, and so I, I consider ownership for both of those sports. So, um, but, uh, okay. Brian says, uh, for the contest selection video, uh, we have a question here. Uh, would it be better on FanDuel to max uh, the 25 cent 150 max um, or play eight entries in the 1776 uh, beanball? Yeah. So I would play, and he's RO. Uh, okay. So these are your diversifier contests. So your goal is basically to get 
to fill these contests, lowest entry fee to highest, um, and get as much lineup and contest diversity as possible here. Uh, so what I would probably do here is play, I would probably max the two 150 maxes and focus on those. Um, and, oh wait, I think I misunderstood. So it's, is it, okay, so it's 150 in the quarter and eight in the 222 or just max the 222. I would play, I would play the, the I would do the first option there. In fact, I'm doing something similar to that here, I think tonight, right? You'll get, because you're getting to spread out your contest diversity quite a bit. You're getting, you're getting into three different diversifier contests and you're getting to play way more unique lineups. So I would play, I would do the first option there. Again, the goal here, when you're thinking about your diversifiers is really like, how can I minimize my variance, right? What's the lowest variance? What's the way I can spread out the most into these contests? So a lot of times I know, you know, that, that, you know, that may not necessarily be, I don't know, that may not necessarily be super helpful for everybody out there, but I think that does kind of help categorize this. And then on the elevator contests, right, we're, we're trying to maximize our potential EV and our ROI in those contests. So that's why you want to think about things like, like effective entrance can be useful when you're talking about the elevators, because we're trying to maximize our ROI when those contests have the right lineup in it. So. Um, all right, cool. Wow. This one went, this went fast. It's already been, it's already 51 minutes here. Uh, let's see. Um, a couple other questions here trickling in, uh, AK said, oh yeah, a few other questions come in. AK said, I've been playing for three months now. I've watched many of the videos and they've been very helpful. I tend to break even on most nights playing uh, a few singles and maxing 25 cent contests. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. You got to remember breaking even is uh, a great start, especially if you're only been playing for a few months, right? Cause you are actually beating whatever the margin is of the contest you're playing, right? You're probably actually beating a 16% rake. So if you're playing rake free, um, you were probably beating those contests. So, um, AK said, is that indication to keep doing what I'm doing or how do I know when to change things up? Um, so that was an interesting question, you know, and that was one that came up in our contest selection video, uh, is that, you know, it's actually, it's actually, it's actually very hard to tell if you are a profitable player, uh, because the, the variance curves and swings of a profitable player, even a very profitable player, aren't that different from even a very unprofitable player, Right. If you were playing the Minimax every single day, if you have a 20% ROI long-term, you might see eight profitable days per month. If you have a negative 10% ROI in the same contest, you might see six profitable days per month, right? And there's a lot of noise there too. It's not as if you're going to land on that every single time. So it's tough to know if you're profitable. Short answer. I would say that's a, that's a over a three-month time span. If you're breaking even, uh, you're probably doing something right. I think one of your best tools to to see if you could maintain that over the long term, uh, especially if you have a bigger set of data, would be to use a tool like Roto Tracker um, and check what your top one percent equity is in those contests. Um, if you are outpacing your top one percent equity and putting, say, one point eight percent of your entries into the top one percent of the contest, uh, you are probably going to find that eventually variance swings your way and you you have a big score that where you realize a lot of your EV all at once. Um, but if you find that maybe your top one percent equity is 0.9 or 0.8 or one, you might actually be a little bit slightly unprofitable and maybe you're actually just running somewhat pure. Um, so, uh, yeah, let me know, let me know if that helps. I think Roto Tracker is a pretty good tool to, to do that. So, uh, Patrick said, what is a better overall bit, uh, for baseball DFS DK or FanDuel five stack and two pitchers on DK four stack and one pitcher. I used to play both spikes sites, but not overall profitable contest selection is better on DK. Uh, I think a lot of it's personal preference. Um, I do think that. I think a lot of it's personal preference. I like playing two pitchers. I always have. Um, I think FanDuel, maybe... I like playing two pitchers. I think... Um, I like playing two pitchers, and I like being able to five-stack. So both of those things are good. Uh, but I do think FanDuel plays a little bit softer, and I also think at maybe a $100 allocation or less, if you are playing less than... 
uh, $100 total per slate. Uh, I think FanDuel is a little bit better. FanDuel will let you get more lineups in play at a lower bankroll level more quickly. So if you are adjusting to playing 150 lineups or more, uh, you can do that with just like $40, uh, $45 on FanDuel pretty quickly. Whereas on DraftKings, it can be harder to get more lineups in play more quickly. So um, I play both. I think a lot of it's personal preference. I think if I had to pick one, I'd probably play DK more. Um, but yeah, good question. Uh, Enigma said, how do you you do $40 on a Counter-Strike slate? Because for example, there are so few diversifiers, sometimes you can hardly get $20 down. Yeah, it's going to be tough on some of these smaller sports here. Um, so what I would attempt to do, um, and some of these are just like so small, like how worth how worth it is this you know um yeah so i would okay yeah so i mean there's not even a lot out there on the flip side it's only it's on, it's only a cup it's only seven entries to play this contest so what it's like what is that? Seven entries. That's a dollar. Yeah. Dollar 75. I mean, I would probably still follow the recommendations and, and you're just going to have a little bit of money in like these really, I mean, or you could start here um, and basically just say that your first diversifier is the $1 and play basically probably fill this, I would assume, right? $14 um, and then play. This is a 20 max. So yeah, I'd probably play your remaining diversifier portfolio here. Um, I, yeah, I, I like. I think I think the big question you'd have to ask yourself is is are the dime time and quarter jukebox even worth your time? I don't know if they would be for me. Like I don't even know if I care about getting a unique lineup into those contests. Um, so I would probably, I would probably play these two as my diversifiers, and then are there single entries here? This is it. Is this, this is like literally it? Okay, if this is is this really all this is all there is? I feel like I'm sorting by something and I just can't tell. But I guess not. I guess that's it. Okay. I mean, if this is literally all that's there in the lobby, then I mean there isn't really even there's not really a lot to talk about here, right? Like figure out I would probably think this is a contest worth at least throwing some lineups into and then put the rest of your equity into this. Right, like there's there's only there's only so much you can do if the lobby is this small. Um, let's see, do we have a Formula One slate up here? Right, this is a little bit of a bigger sport. Um, Enigma said there are single entries up. I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. Why am I not seeing them? Are they not guaranteed? I don't see them, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that the framework, I think the framework should still roughly work. Um, you may just have to kind of be flexible in certain spots. And I, I think it, ultimately it would be kind of cool to do some analysis on a smaller sport like this. Um, and see what our contest sims actually say. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you were trying to get $200 down here, right? Like you're, you're, you're just going to have to play this. So. Um, AK said, oh, uh, curious, can Rototracker pull from previous months or start once you have it? Uh, it depends on how much you're, it can, it can process your entire past, uh, history of DFS, uh, from the sites using your, your history file. Um, but depending on how much, how many contests you've played, how many entries you've actually played, uh, you may have to sign up for a subscription. Um, but I think it's worth it because I think it's, it's one of the better tools out there to get that information and to determine if you are, uh, long-term profitable. So cool. 
All right. I'm going to go ahead and leave it there for today's stream. Again, before we head out, a couple reminders. First of all, Matt will be on stream here tomorrow talking about those changes to the builder, primarily from how we're handling correlation. Very excited about those updates. Uh, Come join me here tomorrow. Come join me and Matt tomorrow in the first 20, 30 minutes of the stream uh, and ask any questions you have about that. Really looking forward to that. Uh, And finally, before we go, uh, we have a free trial on our site, sabersim.com. If you've been watching along here today or listening along and you're not already a Sabersim subscriber, free seven days on our site, no strings attached. If you have signed up with Sabersim in the past and are interested in coming back, we reset everybody's trial at the start of baseball season so you can get another free seven days uh, on our site. In the meantime, enjoy the slate here tonight for baseball. Enjoy game three of the NBA finals. Uh, and I will see you guys here tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. Take care.